0: So my dad decided to start a Chinese language school Um, and he advertised in the paper um, and he ran the school out of our basement on the weekends. And I'm not sure what possessed him to do this, but I remember he had me teaching a Chinese class when I think (laughs) I was like in second or third grade. Welcome
1: to Illuminate Higher Education sponsored by end-to-end services and our Illuminate app. Join us each week to hear from industry leaders, technology leaders in higher education, and most importantly, students to chat on hot topics, share solutions, collaborate, and envision the future of higher education together. Let's illuminate higher education once and for all. Hello everyone, my name is Kieran Kortala. Welcome to Illuminate Higher Education Podcast. I have with us on the podcast a very close friend of mine and a longtime technical associate, slash nerd, slash fellow educational technology leader. Linda Fang is a currently a principal software architect with EdTech Consulting Firm Unicon. Prior to joining Unicon, she was a senior product manager with Instructure focused on platform strategy and standards. Linda has over 20 years of experience in database server and applications product development starting at Oracle, where she was a software architect in Oracle students product division. Throughout her career, Linda has been very involved across the tech community from IMS standards to education EdFI and Project Unicorn Technical Advisory. We'll talk about all that during our episode today. Her work at IMS has been focused on bringing enterprise interoperability standards to the market and includes co-chairing several IMS initiatives related to education data interchange from learning information services, which was used at the basis of one roster, which is used in K through 12, and now AG API to Privacy App Vetting Task Force. All of these are a lot of words, a lot of technologies, a lot of standards, and we'll talk about all of this with Linda. Linda, welcome to Illuminate Higher Education Podcast.
0: Thanks for having me, Kieran.
1: So you and I go a long time ago, right? We've actually, uh, when the first time we talked together, you were in structure, and even then you were discussing with this concept of, education, data standards with respect to learning interchange and other aspects as well. So in your mind, do you think that the data interchange is one of the biggest challenges to overcome or are there other challenges in addition to or instead of data interchange that are hindering education from moving forward?
0: Yeah. So in a way, I think I've been kind of on the front lines of, of really seeing some of those challenges that schools and ed tech companies have with with trying to put all the pieces together around education and the the student data that's involved there. But when I step back and think, you know, I really feel like the the challenge that has the biggest impact uh, today um, is really not related to technology. I think it's about teachers I feel like maybe I come from a culture where we place a high value on education and, and teachers are honored. Maybe you also come from a similar background, Karen. Some would say that teachers are worshipped, right? I mean, you think about the core part of Chinese culture that comes from the philosophy started by Confucius, who was a teacher. So I feel like in this day and age, even with technology um, you know, as advanced as it may be, it ultimately comes down to how can we support teachers in creating that emotional bond and making it safe for students to learn um, and creating that safe space. Um, I actually am working on a a separate podcast that is, is specifically addressing that Um, we're talking Mm -hmm. with uh, my colleague Former colleague, Sean Yeo, who is an adjunct professor and has been in the ed tech industry for a long time. And he has a lot of thoughts around teaching with emotional safety. Um, so we talk about you know, physical safety and psychological safety um, and emotional IQ, right? And, and how do you encourage people to learn and how do you uh, make it safe for them to speak up if they're, if they're feeling like they're lost? I had my own experience in, uh, I had to teach a class online just recently. I was teaching a data lake class for O'Reilly Media. There were like 500 people subscribed. And here I was trying to present, uh, you know, some material into this void. You know, I couldn't tell. I mean, I wasn't allowed to really see anybody. All I could see was people posting in the chat with different questions. Um, So I feel like that's, you know, a, a huge problem that, you know, we as technologists, uh, while we're we're kind of working at at the at the baseline, the ultimate goal of really helping to support teachers, it um, is is uh, more societal. <laughs> uh, so that that's what I feel like it's it's the uh, largest challenge, but. I guess having said all of that, I think sure. there are a couple of big hairy problems in education that I've been working on, which I feel like the central theme of the the work that I'm doing lately is around seamless, how to create a seamless ecosystem. Um, so, I mean, I feel like that, that challenge is around getting the right balance. Um, so you want to spur innovation, but also provide some consistent way of of you know, promoting things like privacy and transparent use of data. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, there needs to be some seamless way that users can go in and out of learning apps, you know, make it approachable for for teachers and students so that there's an easy onboarding process. Um, And I think standards like LTI and LIS, one roster have helped a lot in this space, but there are still mismatches with what platforms are able to do today to accommodate that sort of innovation that we want. Um, for learning apps?
1: Sure. So, uh, there's a couple of elements in what you discussed here. One is about, I'm not sure, about the teachers, right? I think the the concept of uh, getting back to the roots of um, being more respectful to the teachers, is that one of the elements of what you're talking about? The discussion there is, uh, you know, you're right, uh, In even in Hindu culture, this concept of Guru Brahma, Guru Vishnu, Guru Deva Maheshwara. So what it means is that um, there's in Hindu tradition, there are three gods: Brahma, Vishnu, Brahma the Creator, Vishnu the Protector, and Maheshwara the destroyer. So basically all the all it's saying is that teacher is the creator, teacher is the protector, teacher is the you know destroyer as well. Um, but I understand why that was. I will, I guess 300, 500 years ago, because when Guru was really that, like he was like a priest or a rabbi or, um, but now we are move, morphing into this concept where um, we are learning from peers. We're learning from uh, sometimes faculty members, sometimes a specialist in a uh, in field. So how do we reconcile that? How do we reconcile this changing nomenclature of what a teacher is? Uh, in yes. this new world where everybody can be a teacher. like Yes, my son. exactly.
0: I, I yeah. feel like that's that's huge. I mean, I feel like in our culture, I mean, I think I'm very much a, a, you know, a child of of, you know, the American dream. And, you know, growing up in America, I feel like, you know, we've had the great fortune of being able to kind of reinvent, you know, certain concepts, take the best of of a lot of different Cultures and traditions and meld them together. Um, that w- is what I love the most about America. Um, and so I feel like our American way, or you know, our kind of new modern take on teaching and and really um, respecting and honoring teachers is to think of how do we celebrate the teacher in all of us, right? And right. and you know, if if we can all uh, you know think of of the things that you do every day to pass along some tip or interesting piece of information that, that might help someone else. That's a form of teaching. I think from a technology standpoint, what we would strive for is, you know, how do we enable the systems to kind of provide teaching at all of those kind of micro moments, sure. um, which I feel like is, would be a great advancement.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a, that's a concept, right? The concept is how do we a, appreciate teachers everywhere, right? Because in a lot of ways, I think just like you're describing, as I started rebuilding the podcast, my son was ahead of me in this podcast episode because he has his own podcast. So there were a lot of things that I didn't know about this. He was talking about Anchor FM. He was talking about this. And my first step was to say, you know, you're no longer. The father in this discussion. You know, you are a student and um, getting getting that change in transition, uh, looking at my own upbringing, if you will, has, has helped me, but it is still an interesting dynamic. But the second part of this, um, I want to talk about it also, like we talked about the data interchange, like for people who are not data nerds like us, right? They wouldn't know what LTI is, what LIS is, but so let's take a stab at it. So everybody understands that there is student information systems, learning management systems. Learning management systems have like the faculty student interaction data, student information systems have administrative data like financial aid, billing data, uh, registration data, and others. So why should we integrate these systems, number one, and to take it to the next step, what would happen if an institution just says, this is a student data. This is a billing data. This is a parking data and keep them all separate. What's the big deal in keeping them all separate?
0: Yeah, I kind of think of like a, an analogy that I, I don't know if this this is a, a necessarily the, the, the right one that works across the board. <laughs> but, you know, if you imagine going to in the old days right when when people said oh i want to go you know buy something
1: mm-hmm. maybe
0: you know the only place they could go was like jc pennies and jc Penneys sort right. kind of had everything furniture and clothing and you know all the the sort of hardware items that you might need um but at the same time it so it was nice because you had you know, maybe JCPenney knew about you and you could go and pay money in like one place. And, you know, but you only really had access to kind of whatever JCPenney was, uh, you know, inside the building of JCPenney, like whatever was available there. So at at the end of the day, it was somewhat limited. Um, Mm -hmm. Where I think people have moved to over time is, hey, we want the kind of shopping mall to be available. So if I don't like what I'm going to, you know find at JCPenney's I can always go to a, another store that's that's just you know in the same uh co-located space and I kind of you know park once park my car walk in and now I have access to you know hundreds of different uh market uh opportunities you know places for me to go and shop and they all have different selection Even though with every store, um, you know, stores can come and go, but I still have Mm -hmm. the same part, you know, parking and come into the building. Right. And then if I even have need more options than that, now I go online, right. And online, I have, you know, access to thousands um, or, you know, hundreds of thousands of different products to choose from. Um, And it's one, you know, in, in general, like we like the idea of a consistent shopping experience through one portal. So um, the idea of kind of that need for some kind of consistency, but also having the dynamic flexibility of, you know, different innovative uh, products that can come and go. And that's really the, the, the dream and, and, you know, the ideal future uh, state that, yeah. that we want to enable with standards like LTI. I, I think in universities today and school districts, um, we find that because of the siloed nature of, of the administrative data that is somehow separate from the learning systems data, um, this causes that that disjointed, you know, where a student can get registered um, and have to wait before they can get access to some learning system. Uh, teachers may not really be in sync with who all is really in their class um, and we know that students learn better when there aren't as many barriers to uh, to being able to to get access to the material that they need when they need it. Um, we we also talk about. I've been uh, at one point. I think at one of the Educauses, they have like the startup alley, um, where they you know have a, a different different startup vendors that kind of talk about what what they're bringing into market. And I remember seeing one startup company that had built an app, you know, the idea of like within a course, if you have a lot of people, um, you want to enable them to interact with each other so they can, you know, talk to Mm -hmm. each other and share and, and, you know, do kind of a, a form of peer peer group support. Sure. But what if, you know, your course is not, I mean, if you have synchronous learning, then everybody's kind of there at the same time. And, you know, you can have interactions sort of from from September to December but but that same course uh, you know a professor might be teaching that same course every year so what if you wanted to talk to someone who had taken the course a year ago so the boundary of not only the course in that offered semester or term but beyond that you know that's an interesting concept you know why not have lowered barriers to allow f- for the The seamless interactions between Mm -hmm. learners around course material, regardless of time.
1: Yeah, I like uh, I like this analogy that you came up with is about moving away from a single administrative system. Right. Because in a lot of ways, 20 years ago a registrar's office or a bursar's office was a file cabinet with a bunch of student files in it. Now we have systems that are built out. So, you know, you were moving from this JCPenney file cabinet model to a mall where the alleyway is a person trying to get information from different places, whether it's your financial aid office or bursar's office or the CRM. And the bus is what you're talking about with respect Mm -hmm. to standards right so Mm -hmm. the bus or the alley that connects the patrons to different stores is needs to be standardized so are you saying that the current data interchange methods are not standardized what is the current state of data interchanges between student information systems and learning management systems
0: yeah. <laughs> so I have definitely, you know, been in this space for for I guess almost two decades now and um mm-hmm. it, it's been an interesting journey. So so I would say that you know what we've found over the years is is I think when we started um I, I like to talk about the fact that people couldn't even agree on, you know, is what's the name that we're going to use for this thing that's called a course. Um, <laughs> and, and I would say we may still be, be, you know, discussing this, but um, you know, and it, and we think about kind of the analogy in, uh, in, or the, the parallel in the healthcare industry um, you know, where systems need to operate on patient data. It's a very similar thing. You want just a common set of terminology for exchanging data about students, um, to you know uh, enable all the processes that that exist today um, to support mm-hmm. the student process, but we I think gathered the industry together uh, almost you know again about fifteen years ago now, and at that time we knew that there were so many ways where people couldn't agree on on how they were going to manage this data and the exchange of data um there were a lot of proprietary ways that that people were were doing this and so we said well let's focus everyone on one use case and that was rostering so that had to do with right. when you sign up for a course in your student system uh, which is your system of record and now you want to just provision your user account Uh, with some, you know, notion of which which course it's for and which term it's for in a learning management system. So we kind of focused on just those two pillars, the student information system and the learning management system. We Mm -hmm. know that, you know, and and it has really evolved over the last uh, couple of decades now, there are many other kind of new pillars that that have emerged, um, one around content, assessments, you have the other systems like syllabus and uh, housing. And and so that's so right. that's kind of where I think we had always had that vision that we want this to extend to a larger kind of academic ecosystem. And that's where I think today with kind of our new initiative around EduAPI, which is really building on some of those older initiatives, we're now looking to move beyond just a kind of basic rostering use case.
1: Sure. There's a lot to unpack there. And definitely I want to, spend a little bit more time on it. Uh, But before I do that, I feel like everything, uh, the fact that you worked 20 years in education and you're focused on really trying to transform education from the ground up is something remarkable. I wanted to understand how you came to this, like what are some of the, is this your upbringing? What led you to transform education? Can you talk to us about that story?
0: I mean, I was thinking about this just recently that education has really been a huge part of like my whole life. Um, and mm-hmm. I've had really the good fortune of really having positive influences from teachers and mentors throughout my life. And I, I feel like I've developed a teaching and mentoring relationship with others now as I've matured. Um, but I mean, my father was my first teacher. I grew up in suburban Maryland outside of D.C., there weren't very many Chinese American families in our town. So my dad decided to start a Chinese language school um, and he advertised in the paper um, and he ran the school out of our basement on the weekends. And I'm not sure what possessed him to do this, but I remember he had me teaching a Chinese class when I think <laughs> I was like in second or third grade. Good um, for and- you. Yeah and I mean I had learned lang- you know Chinese language kind of from from speaking it at home and growing up with my with one set of grandparents um in Maryland you know kind of as a to further the grand experiment, my father actually also uh, sent my brother and I at different points in time to uh, live in a different country in a and go to a boarding school. So, so we both lived in Hong Kong and went to different boarding schools um, at different points in our. Like I went when I was in fourth grade. My brother went when he was in seventh grade, and the whole like experience of uh, you know having to. Um, I mean, I knew some Chinese, but did not really have enough Chinese as a Chinese American, you know, American born Chinese Mm -hmm. person. I was I was pretty much like it was like being thrown into a fully foreign environment. Um, And I had to kind of start with uh, learning from picture books all the way up through through uh, when I kind of finished fifth grade, I was actually getting passing scores, but I think I, I think I failed fourth grade because, um, you know, I couldn't even like, in order to do the math problems, you have to understand the, the directions, which are written in Chinese for how to solve the math problems. So I think for me, the, the influence of, you know, very positive people who, who guided me and kind of, again, were, were there for me, to learn, you know, really presented themselves, um, pre- gave me those opportunities to learn. That was, that was a, a, you know, big influence on me. I'll just kind of mention one more story, which was this is about what I call the last math class I ever took. Uh, so <laughs> so I was really fortunate to, you know, get a great education, ended up at Stanford um, for my undergrad, uh, you know, was doing a electrical engineering computer science degree there. Um, And so for me, I always, you know, really gravitated towards uh, the the hardest math classes I could find uh, through, you know, high school and into college. Um, And I found myself, uh, I think I was a, a, a sophomore in college taking partial differential equations and, you know, really started to struggle at that point, you know, and, and, our professor, while I'm sure he he must have, maybe he was okay at one point, but by the time he was teaching us, he was, like, really hard of hearing, um, and he would literally come into the class and just start writing on the board with his back to the class, and if you wanted to ask a question, you had to write your question on a piece of paper, like, run up to the front of the class and tap him on the shoulder so that he could see your question. It mm-hmm. was kind of hard for us, you know, if we were getting lost, to really get the support we needed. Um, so I turned to my dad, and I, I remember I called and I said, "Dad, I need to I need to drop this class. I'm I'm really not doing well," and my dad was like, "Look, I'll make you a deal. He's like, I'll tutor you if you don't drop the class. If you you know stay in the class, and I'll help you." And this was like before Zoom. Um, you know, so huh. we literally were on the phone. He's on the east coast. I'm on the west coast he was on the phone with me. He's like, well, first he said, he said, what book do you have? And I told him the book and he's like, Oh, I think I have it in the garage. (laughs) My father's a PhD in applied math, uh, (laughs) applied math. Um, So, so, you know, he's in the same field, but um, he ended up helping me through that class. I don't know if I, if I got the best grade I could have gotten, but I, I I passed um, with Mm -hmm. his help. And what I learned from that was just, how, diff, how much of a difference a good teacher can make, and, and you know that that everyone's learning style, you know, needs a different kind of support. Um, not everybody can just you know learn by looking in the textbook, or you know, or or even just um, you know doing a hundred problems on their own. They really, you know, I'm the type of person that I need interactivity in order to really cement my knowledge, and and pause and ask for. Understanding um, and have someone that I can dialogue with.
1: Yeah, that's that's remarkable, right? I mean, I think this kind of backs into your original position that teachers should be respected because in your family you've seen your father as your you know primordial teacher, and it is true with all the kids, I guess, uh, not just father, like parent, uh, parent as their primary teacher, but pretty quickly. It morphs out into like my parents and my first grade teachers, my parents, first grade and middle school teachers and parents start going lower and lower in the totem pole. Uh, I'm glad that your father was a PhD in applied math and he was able to help you. You know, I'm I'm not sure if Veda, my daughter calls me, I will be able to help her with her Stanford (laughs) math. (laughs) I, I barely struggle to help her with her middle school math sometimes with, you know. So, yeah, it anyway, does, it but does I think, get
0: harder, yeah.
1: But I think you you got the, you, you hit the nail on the head uh, right there in your upbringing. You've seen education as the core of your upbringing and that allowed you to move forward uh, and not only that, but also allowed you to invest yourself into education. Um, so that's that's really amazing. I li- I'm just excited just hearing about your life story uh, and how you molded yourself into transforming education. But now you are twenty years later, you're now trying to do something really concrete where we talked about a little bit about the bus right you know I've been in uh, serving education for the last twenty two years, and I do understand the problem is that let's continue the mall anal- analogy and I think uh, if our if there's any non data techies on our listeners, they will understand so let's think of a mall and there's ten stores, and each store talks. Each store owner talks to you in a completely different language. You know, one store owner talks in Chinese, Korean, Hindi, Sanskrit, Spanish, whatever. And you are a patron trying to buy clothes or shoes from each of the store. How is that possible? It's not, right? That's the impossible dilemma that we are dealing with with education, where the store owners themselves are not, for some reason, they're not as excited about talking in a common language. So let's talk about the why that is. Is it historical? Is it is it some other, other situation that I'm not aware of? Because ultimately there are two ways to solve the problem. One is, you know, you buying a translator and learning all the, well, no, one is you learning all the languages, which is impossible. And number two, you're buying a universal translator to decode the languages but the third would have been all the store owners agreed to talk a common language. So before we talk about the third point, is there some underpinning reason why all the education systems are not talking a similar way? They're not exchanging data in a common way. Uh, What is the reason for that?
0: That's a great question. And I feel like the, you know, the genesis of this is, is really just, you know, what are the needs that that each of the individual? I mean, we you know we we try to encourage innovation, and so uh, you know every company is going to say, well, I have something, mm-hmm. a new way of either presenting content to a learner or interacting with learners or assessing them, and most of the time when they they're more focused on what is their innovation and kind of the, the sort of nuts and bolts of, you know, well, how do I actually get the student to begin with and where else is this student also going to be uh, doing their kind of administrate, you know, how, how do we administer what, you know, who the student is and and what credit are they going to get and, and in what context are they actually entering into, um, you know, my learning application? I think those may not be forefront of, you know, what, uh, an ed tech company, you know, or or someone who's really trying to design this future learning experience. At the Mm -hmm. same time, for universities and and school districts, I think they get kind of stuck with this, you know, mishmash problem of, of all the different apps that might be useful for learners might have different access points. And now you have, you know, this horrible problem for the university and school administrators to you know, piece all that together, make it look seamless. Um, and, you know, I, I think about, you know, my friend, Dan Carroll, who uh, founded Clever um, in the K-12 space. I mean, he was like a teacher, I think. And he was first really trying to just build things to advance learning and, and wanting to make progress there, but but realized that he couldn't even do the first thing until he tried to solve the problem of, you know, how do learners get access or how do teachers Uh, manage those user accounts across all of the apps that they might need to use so I mean it's weird because uh, like as architects I think we think about back to the the shopping mall analogy right you know if the shopping mall didn't have like a main entrance right or if it didn't have like like one place you could go, you know, a, a clearly marked place where people could go and, and park their car before they mm-hmm. try to enter the mall. This would be impossible. You know, if you had like all of the different shops, you know, each had a different way that you had to kind of, I don't know, move your car and like, and, right, then, right. and then, and then you know, find your way into, your, into their store.
1: Yeah, there's multiple reasons why maybe the store owners have, one of it might be just the fact that that was not their primary concern, right? They were like, well, all I care about is sell my clothes. I'm not gonna worry about whether people can understand me or not. I'm not sure why that is, but regardless, that's that's what there was. But regardless, I think um, it is impacting us from moving education forward. And that brings me to the next question about where are the biggest trends for higher education or education in general? you know, because there's a lot of discussion about blended learning, uh, project-based learning, game-based learning, and how do all of these learning trends fit into the bigger macro trends like gig economy, where you're no longer expected to have a degree to do your job, right? So, um, and there's a concept of everybody is a contractor that Uber and Airbnb has created. So, uh, let's talk about that. What are some of the biggest trends that are impacting education, and then we'll back into how the lack of data integration is impacting those trends.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I I feel like it's it's wonderful to to think about you know where we want to go, and and I can see the glimmers of the the types of of ways we're enabling that today. But but first, I guess I just wanted to say too that in terms of you know some of the current challenges, you know, between systems uh, that could be solved using standards, a lot of it really is um, people have made arbitrary choices. And it's not that anyone's intentionally trying to thwart the system. It's just that this, you know, we've kind of evolved to this point. And, um, and so I feel like there's a, a huge opportunity to to get the community together and say, well, hey, what are all the things that you guys are doing that are kind of the same? And if you've made these arbitrary choices, let's just Mm -hmm. agree on a common format or language that can then move us all forward. And I think if we, you know, part of that is understanding where we want to go. So, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, when we think about the ways in which people learn, and I've had a lot of time too through my career to reflect on, on just, you know, like, you know, you can't force a learning environment and a learning experience for every person. Um, it's going to work differently. And there are different circumstances that people are going to want to partake of learning uh, for the, you know, depending on their goal, right? So so if if I, if I need to know, you know, how to, how to you know fix my generator, I'm gonna go look at a YouTube video. And that's a very specific right. way that I can get access to that information exactly when I need it. If I'm interested in getting my certification on AWS, you know, solutions architecture, I'm gonna take some, you know, online classes and I'm gonna do labs and pr- practice, you know, so that I can go sit for the exam. So it's a different, I think. A uh, format that I might choose, and that's the whole point. I think of of where we want people to go is is that is that there's more choice, and in order to make choice possible, we have to help to make really good content. I think that learning needs to be powered with content that's immersive. Um, you know, we don't want things that you know really like after you know two three minutes, people are kind of just fading yeah, out, and there's no focus. way to really check you know and practice what the person just talked about, or, you know, figure out how through some kind of peer network, you know, you can, you can um, say, Hey, did you get what that guy just said? You know, what do you think? Right. And so that the discussion and discourse is really um, what helps cement your own knowledge. Um, And I feel like, you know, all of what we've said about teachers being respected and honored. Teachers can also act as coaches. So if we think of really good content that is created by, you know, the the kind of, we don't even really uh, want to label like who's creating the content, but we we want a way to say there is good content, um, and the best content kind of rises to the top because people are choosing sure. it and people are getting what they want out of it. Then um, we can scale this with more of a coaching model whereby people can say, you know, I guess the fundamental principle here that, that in some of the work that I've been doing is to recognize that a learning is like a feedback loop, right? And so mm-hmm. as a uh, in a learning experience, what tends to happen is you interact with something. So you're presented with something to interact with. Um, it gives you some challenge. And then based on what you've done, uh, you get some feedback. Someone is either observing what you're doing and giving you feedback or you kind of get through the interaction. You're getting the feedback sure. and then you you loop back around. So, you know, and, and you can kind of create, uh, you know, these recursive loops, you know, if we want to really mm-hmm. nerd out about that. Right. Um, so, the you know, the analogy that my friend Michael Feldstein and I talk about is, you know, that. Um, if you want to learn how to make an omelet, first, you have to understand, you know, how to heat the pan and then you have mm-hmm. to understand how to how to uh, beat the eggs. Right. And so um, there's like a bunch of smaller skills that all build up to larger skills. So yeah. I feel like there should be you know, ways that we can encourage this free choice of good content and then allow kind of assessments or credentialing to kind of happen maybe kind of on the side so that there is people can kind of pick and choose what they're learning and then say, hey, I want to now kind of present what I've learned, you know, for some sort of badge or credential. And I think there's a lot of good progress being done today around, you know, comprehensive learner record um, and badge systems so that, you know, this can all be made possible.
1: Yeah, this is is amazing. I think uh, you kind of summed it up very well in that, you know, taking back to the mall analogy, um, there's a concept that let's say that we are there's a bunch of stores, and we're learning math from one store, and physics from another store, and chemistry. Not even those courses, but small micro courses. You want to put them all in a bag, right? Shopping bag, um, and I want to be able to present it this shopping bag to somebody who can assess all the contents and confirm that. I've gathered the right amount of stuff. So the the concept of comprehensive learner record is exactly that. Right now, the way our education is built is that you go to JCPenney example, buy all the stuff, and you enter the store, get everything you need, and exit the store. That's a typical four-year college. But the future model we're talking about is stackable credits where I can learn anything I want from anywhere I want, but I will be able to present it to... You know, Microsoft or Apple, and they will be able to assess my knowledge not based on the stamp on my degree or not based on the names of my courses, but really just based on the skills I've learned. And uh, that allows me to earn as well. So I think that's the future that we are all looking forward to. And uh, just as a full disclaimer, Linda and I are working on this new model called EduAPI API in collaboration with IMS Global that allows us to build this concept of CLR, which is comprehensive learner record, where a learner can carry their information from beginning to end that's amazing. So I know that us both being the data nerds, geeks, whatever you want to call it, uh, we can spend hours together on this podcast. But however, I think we might have to start thinking about wrapping this up. As we start wrapping this up, let's just take this idea that the education is a journey. Like let's stay with the mall concept where I'm learning all of these things from all these different stores. And let's assume that all the standards have been set up so that all the store runners talk in the same language and all the commodities, you know, which is courses, uh, learning objects, if you will, are all defined in a way that everybody understands it. So if that happens, can you envision the future of education and what, what that would look like and what that seamless journey for a learner would look like? And if you want to take it to the next level and explain how it would look like for an instructor or an administrator, that'll be great as well.
0: There's been a lot said about, you know, how kind of our traditional models of of you know you kind of have this sequential way of you got to do uh, high school and then college you know and, and everything before then you know, obviously um you know and then work and and you know maybe after work you might have some work related training that you might do that that you know is kind of for your job and that it all kind of happens sequentially and you know probably you know by the time you're 25 years old well this model doesn't necessarily work for everyone and so I feel like, you know, uh, in order to really reach more, more different kinds of people in different walks of life um, and give them that, that same opportunity to get a full education in order to be kind of a productive member of society, I think we do want to expand our concept um, to say, you know, like you said, there, there are, uh, you know, ways that people can get access to, uh, uh, you know, the, the kind of education which may be traditionally offered, but... But kind of broken out into pieces so that people can consume them, um, you know, in like you know, in their spare time when you know, when they might be already working full or part time wherever they are uh, across the globe. Um, you know, we saw that happening a little bit with MOOCs, um, and I still feel like that that was a huge transformation. And, you know, may not have done exactly what everybody you know thought it was going to do with you know being able to get full degrees online. But but you know, we do now have uh, you know broken the barrier for you know someone in a remote area of of a different country can you know can watch my class on you know how to build a data lake the idea that you can have kind of like a youtube experience of hey i need to learn something let me go online and try to find the best um, example, you know, and I can pick and choose, hey, I have two minutes. I have five minutes. I have fifteen minutes, you know, and and how deep do I want to go? and and you know, i can I can do whatever I need to do to help me learn and then and then take that and inf- you know result of that and present it for uh, the same kind of credential you know that I might have gotten from you know more traditional outlets. sure,
1: so you're you're absolutely correct. The future definitely belongs in us learning whatever we want, whenever we want on demand, like watching a YouTube video, right? But I think there's something to be said about your other comment about an instructor being a guide, because I'll take my own personal journey. I was trying to um, get into writing. I somehow fooled myself into thinking that I can write poems, which obviously I write it, but nobody will read it or they're not worthy reading. So, So I started uh, on this journey saying, maybe I'll watch some YouTube videos, uh, maybe I'll read some books and maybe I'll listen to other poems. So even after all that, I realized that there is some help I need that will allow me to take all these disparate pieces of information and connect it to what I am and where I need to go, right? Mm -hmm. And that we need a guide. So I mm-hmm. think the future belongs to uh, maybe something like Khan Academy, where mm-hmm. there's a lot of learning content, but something like Wyzant also, where I can go find a tutor when I want them and yep. get on a $95 per hour course or whatever mm-hmm. course and say, here's my garbage writing I wrote, <laughs> tell me, you know, how bad I am or something. Right. Well, right? no, or- I mean, and
0: that's where the, right, that's where the emotional safety comes in too. I mean, you right. want... Sean and I talk about this great concept where he's he, he puts it really well. I, I, he says, you know, the reason why you're, you're there to learn is because you don't know anything. So right. you don't have to feel bad about it. And that the whole idea is to, to create a relationship where, uh, you know, you and someone you want to learn from it is making it safe for you to grow kind of as yeah. a, a person <laughs> um, exactly. and, and gain think- that knowledge.
1: Yeah, I think the whole concept is the future, according to Linda, is really about not just about teachers, but also guides helping us grow. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great you know future we can get into. And ultimately, if we learn as much as we can and use the internet as our teacher, and then when we need help, uh, instructors are available as Sherpas or guides or facilitators, that will be great. So that's a future we're all looking forward to. Linda, I enjoyed this conversation very much. I really enjoyed a uh, fellow peer and a data data specialist like yourself uh, talking about the future of education. Thank you for joining Illuminate Higher Education.
0: Thank you, Kiran.
1: Listeners, I'll post show notes and more links about Linda and her exceptional work. Thank you for joining in and tuning on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Illuminate Higher Education, sponsored by End-to-End Services and our Illuminate app. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network. You can learn more about Illuminate app at illuminateapp.com and continue the conversation with us there. If there are any topics you'd like us to discuss further, please email them to us at podcast at n2nservices.com. That's podcast at n2nservices.com. Thank you.